Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 2, Episode 31, Sodom and Gomorrah. Last week, I thought I wrapped up a short series on the Canaanites, but I made a mistake when I released the podcast and attached the media file for Episode 29 instead of the proper one for Episode 30. So those of you that downloaded the podcast in real time got a double dose of Episode 29 and missed out entirely on Episode 30. I did not discover my mistake until Sunday, at which time I re-released the week's podcast and attached the proper episode. So, when I say if you missed it, you really should go back and give it a listen, well, all of the blame for you missing it falls on me, but you still should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm beginning the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, which will last two or three episodes. So let's get started. First, it's been a while since I quoted from the Old Testament, and I'm skipping over a chapter or two. Well, a few more than that. But the missing pieces will be covered in the near future. Those pieces fall in Genesis chapters 13 through 18. Why am I skipping this much? It's because Sodom was first mentioned in chapter 13, as the place where Lot settled. It wasn't mentioned again until chapter 18. Its mention in chapter 13 was rather brief, in verses 12 and 13, where it reads, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the plain and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The story of these two cities picks up in earnest in Genesis chapter 18, and given the detail in the text, I'm going to read from it directly from the New Revised Standard Version, starting in verse 16. Then the men set out from there, and they looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. No, for I have chosen him, that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, How great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, and how very grave their sin! I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered, Let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Stepping out of the text, and with a personal comment, 
God and Abraham conducted what can be described as a reverse auction where Abraham essentially got the asking price to save Sodom down to ten righteous people. In my mind, that was rather gutsy of Abraham. You should really read the Bible. I'm skipping over a bit and picking it back up in the text in chapter 19 at verse 15, when two angels warn Lot to leave Sodom. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or else you will be consumed in the punishment of the city. But he lingered, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and left him outside the city. When they had brought them outside, they said, Flee for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the hills, or else you will be consumed. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, your servant has found favor with you, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot flee to the hills, for fear the disaster will overtake me and I will die. Look, that city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. And he said to him, Very well, I grant you this favor too, and will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore the city was called Zor. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Abraham went in the early morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, and he saw the smoke of the land going up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, God remembered Abraham, and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had settled. Sodom and Gomorrah were also mentioned throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, and again in deuterocanonical books. Not to forget, but the cities were attested to in the Quran and the Hadith, both of the Islamic faith tradition. In Genesis, the kingdoms of Sodom and Gomorrah were allied with the cities of Adma, Zeboam, and Bela. Together, these five cities were known as the cities of the plain. And no, that's not aircraft, but instead a large flat land area. They were situated on the Jordan River plain in the southern region of the land of Canaan. The plain was located in the area just north of the Dead Sea. In Genesis 13, it was somewhat compared to the Garden of Eden meaning that the land was well-watered and green, and suitable for grazing livestock. In Genesis, the judgment by God was imposed upon Sodom and Gomorrah in two neighboring cities, which were completely consumed by fire and brimstone. For what it's worth, brimstone is traditionally thought to be sulfur. When sulfur burns in air, it produces sulfur dioxide. When this gas comes into contact with water, it produces sulfurous acid and sulfites. At high concentrations, these acids harmed lungs, eyes, or other tissues. In organisms without lungs, such as insects and plants, sulfite in high concentration prevents respiration. 
Many sulfur compounds are odiferous, and the smells of odorized natural gas, skunk scent, grapefruit, and garlic are due to the organosulfur compounds. Hydrogen sulfide gives the characteristic odor to rotting eggs and other biological processes. It took me forever to figure out how to politely phrase those last three words. Back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Neighboring Zora, aka Bella, was the only city in the area that was spared. In Christianity, as well as other Abrahamic religions, namely Judaism and Islam, Sodom and Gomorrah have become synonymous with unapologetic sin, and consequently their fall is similarly associated with an archetyped expression of divine retribution. Sodom and Gomorrah have also been used as metaphors for numerous vices viewed as deviant. The story has therefore given rise to words in several languages. As a note, these words include the English word sodomy. Some Islamic societies incorporate punishments associated with Sodom and Gomorrah into Sharia law. The origin of both names, as well as the original meanings of the names, are uncertain. The name Sodom could be a word for an early Semitic language, ultimately related to Arabic Sadama, meaning fasten, fortify, strengthen. And Gomorrah could be based on the root Gim-a-ur, which means be deep, copious, or water. But this is mostly speculative. Now, there are some other stories and historical names which bear resemblance to the biblical stories of Sodom and Gomorrah. And some possible natural explanations for the events described have been proposed. But as of today, there are no widely accepted or strongly verified sites for the cities that have been found. Of the five cities of the plain, only Bela, now known as Zora, is positively identified, probably because it remained a town long after the biblical period. The ancient Greek historiographer Strabo states that locals living near a city known as Moasada testify that there were once 13 inhabited cities in the region of which Sodom was the metropolis. Strabo identifies a limestone and salt hill at the southwestern tip of the Dead Sea, and Karabit Usidom as ruins near this city. Archibald Sates, a 19th century professor of Assyriology at the University of Oxford, translated an Akkadian poem that describes cities that were destroyed in a reign of fire, written from the point of view of a person who escaped the destruction. But, in this poem, the names of the cities are not given. In 1976, Giovanni Pettinato, a professor of Assyriology at the University of Rome, claimed that a cuneiform tablet found at Ebla contained the names of all five cities of the plain, specifically Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Bela. On the tablet, the names were listed in the same order as in Genesis. More specifically, the names Sadamu and Mrr were identified as representing Sodom and Gomorrah, which gained some acceptance at the time. However, Alfonso Archie, another professor at the University of Rome, states that judging from the surrounding city names in the cuneiform list, Sadamu was in northern Syria and not near the Dead Sea. Also, Imamar is a variant of Imar, known to represent Imar, an ancient city located near Ebla. Given this and other problems, the scholarly consensus is that this Ebla tablet does not refer to neither Sodom nor Gomorrah. 
If the cities actually existed, another theory, very unsurprisingly, is that they might have been destroyed as the result of a natural disaster. One theory claims that the Dead Sea was devastated by an earthquake between 2100 and 1900 BC, which could have unleashed showers of tar. It is possible that the towns were destroyed by an earthquake in the region, especially since a major fault is in the area, specifically known as the Jordan Rift Valley. But there is a lack of historical accounts of seismic activity within the necessary time frame to corroborate this theory. Even so, let's explore it for a minute. The Jordan Rift Valley is an elongated valley located in modern-day Israel and Jordan. This geographic region includes the entire length of the Jordan River, from its sources through the Hula Valley, the Chorazim Block, the Sea of Galilee, the Lower Jordan Valley, and downstream to the Dead Sea. The valley continues past the Dead Sea onward towards the Arabah Depression, the Gulf of Aqaba whose shorelines it incorporates, until finally reaching the Red Sea at the Straits of Tehran. The lowest point in the Jordan Rift Valley is in the Dead Sea, with the deepest spot underwater is 2,600 feet or 790 meters below sea level. The shore of the Dead Sea is the lowest land on Earth at about 1,300 feet or 400 meters below sea level. The valley north of the Dead Sea has long been a site of agriculture because of water available from the Jordan River and numerous springs located on the valley's flanks. As far as tar plumes, earthquakes have long been associated with strange geologic occurrences. The New Madrid earthquakes of 1811 and 1812 AD in the central Mississippi Valley of the U.S. was one such event that was recorded for posterity. In the area of southeastern Missouri, northwestern Tennessee, and other neighboring states during the period of the earthquake, there were tar balls approximately the size of golf balls blown about 15 feet or 5 meters into the air. Also, curious anomalies such as sand geysers, sometimes called sand boils, spewed forth. Even the mighty Mississippi River flowed backwards for several hours leading to the drowning of many local residents. Not to forget that a sulfurous odor was present, so strong that it prevented lamps from being lit. So, is it possible that the New Madrid earthquakes were similar to what could have happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, maybe. And for clarity, I'm not saying this is what happened, or that it was not caused by divine intervention, but instead, given that similar events have occurred in recent history, it certainly may lead credence to the story. And, if God can create the earth, then surely he could cause a little shaking and spewing. Back to the story. There is also another theory, and this one seems to be a bit more speculative. There are some people that think the area was destroyed by the plume of a meteor that impacted the Alps, which of course are located in Europe. This theory is based on a Sumerian cuneiform tablet called the Planisphere. These people think that the tablet depicts the sky around the time of the supposed disaster and shows a moving object that could be seen from Earth. They are trying to relate the events at Sodom and Gomorrah to another incident called the Kofel's Impact Event. Now, the Kofel's Impact Event was originally assumed to be a massive rock slide that occurred in the valley of Otzel, Tyrol, Austria, that was discovered in the mid-19th century. 
A review of the geologic evidence led researchers to believe that the valley may have been hit by a small asteroid sometime around 3120 BC. Some proponents of the theory believe that the record of observation of this event was carved into the planisphere. I'll post a photo of the tablet on the podcast Facebook page. The cuneiform tablet dates roughly to 700 BC and was found in the 1850s by archaeologist Henry Layard in the ruins of the Royal Palace Library in Nineveh in present-day Iraq. It is fairly round in shape and about 6 inches or 15 centimeters in diameter. It has proven to be a frustrating mystery to scholars since it was uncovered. A study in 2008 proposed that the tablet may be a copy of an earlier tablet recording an astronomical observation of the fall of an asteroid. According to some computer models, such an event may have occurred on June 29, 3123 BC. The tablet also records planetary positions, as well as the trajectory of an asteroid. This gives the asteroid a surprisingly accurate path within one degree that is in the direction of Kofels. The tablet is currently located in the British Museum. The landslide at Kofels, Austria is three miles long and a quarter mile wide, about five kilometers long by half a kilometer wide. The overall volume of rock that slid is thought to be over 4 billion, with a B, cubic yards, which is about 3.28 cubic kilometers. Since the site was found, geologists have considered its cause to be a mystery. And this leads to much speculation, including that it could have been caused by a meteorite. The proponents of the theory rely on the belief that the land deformation may have been caused by an explosion and evidence of a high-pressure impact on the soil. However, more recent studies, some as late as 1997, lean towards a type of deep soil creep, where masses of bedrock sag downhill on steep mountainsides, with the sag resulting in the landslide. But what the heck, let's run with the theory for a minute. The recorded observation on the tablets seems to suggest that the asteroid was what is called an Aten, a type which orbits close to the Earth, and that it was greater than 3,300 feet, or about 1 kilometer in diameter. The descent angle is calculated to have been 6 degrees, striking the mountain Gamskogel, near Lagensfeld, Austria. This caused the asteroid, now a meteorite, to explode with a fireball causing damage to the Kofels Valley and creating the pressure damage observed by geologists but it did not create an impact crater. In discussing the Kofels event, British aerospace engineer and astronomer Mark Hempsall stated, quoting, Another conclusion can be made from the trajectory. The back plume from the explosion, the mushroom cloud, which would be bent over the Mediterranean Sea, re-entering the atmosphere over the Levant, Sinai, and northern Egypt. The ground heating, though very short, would be enough to ignite any flammable material, including human hair and clothes. It is probable more people died under the plume than in the Alps due to the impact blast. The falling material from the explosion would have been consistent with the rain of fire and brimstone upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, which were located in the Levant, near the southern end of the Dead Sea. End quote. 
And that's probably a good stopping point for this week. Join me next week when I'll dive in again to the dubious Twin Cities. You don't want to miss it. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released. Also go to iTunes and give the podcast a positive review. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.